Hey, it's Justin Harvey. Thanks for tuning in to the Anesthesia Success Podcast, where we take a close look at important topics pertaining to business, practice management, personal finance, and careers for anesthesiologists and pain management physicians. On this show, I work hard to take your critical questions straight to the experts. Thanks for listening. What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 49 of the Anesthesia Success Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Harvey. I'm very excited to be kicking off a the first in a two-part series, helping pain management physicians, especially, this is also true in anesthesiology to a lesser degree, uh, understand productivity compensation, specifically as it relates to RVUs. So today, we're going to do a deep dive on what RVUs are, how they are determined, how it functions in the context of a practice, and then next week, we're going to talk about using RVUs as a, a mechanism to understand physician compensation. And then we're gonna look at income benchmarking, negotiating employment agreements, those types of things. There's been a couple considerations that have been an impetus for this two-part series. The first is I've been looking at a lot of pain contracts lately. Understanding RVUs is essential to being able to understand how much am I gonna get paid as a physician, whether or not it's a directly cited you know, mechanism in a contract, a relative value unit, or whether it's a derivative payment scale that is still based on RVUs. The RVUs would be the underlying uh, chassis. So we're going to talk about what RVUs are, hopefully clear up some uh, misconceptions, and maybe you'll learn a little something new. Last week was the episode with Dr. Normal Abraham. She's one of these people that really understands medical billing very intimately. And what I've seen is that person after person after person, many of the physician leaders in the pain management space really do understand the operations and the billing behind pain management. So for physicians who want to get a a good deal or even a fair deal when it comes to compensation, when it comes to career questions, understanding the billing, understanding the function of, in this case, the RVU is going to be really, really helpful. So I would also say in the show notes for this week, uh, anesthesiasuccess.com slash 49. I'm going to have a lot of different resources there that I'm citing today. Today's conversation is going to be a little more technical. For anybody listening out there, I would encourage you to check out the YouTube video of this uh, discussion. So if you check me out, Justin Harvey, I have a YouTube channel with Anesthesia Success. You'll find this content there where there's going to be some visual aids to just guide our discussion, which is going to be a little bit technical, a little bit number heavy at times. So with, without further ado, let's dive in. We're going to talk about RVUs, um, relative value units. So here's where we're going to go for today's discussion. The first is we're going to talk about the history of what RVUs are. Second, we're going to talk about the components of the RVU calculation to say, what are the elements that make up the total amount that a practice can bill for a certain procedure or a certain bit of care for a patient? And then finally, we're going to look at some real-world calculations of how the RVU calculation works and what number it yields and what percentage of that belongs to the doctor or is due to the physician's labor versus other components. And and let me make a disclaimer at this point. I'm not a technical expert in medical billing. I am interested in it and conversant in it because it impacts a lot of my clients. So I work really hard to understand it. I've done a lot of research for today's content, but please, this is no substitute for having a qualified practice consultant or a medical billing consultant answer these questions in greater detail for you to the extent that you need to rely on that level of insight. So the history of the RVU system. RVUs are maintained by CMS, the the RVU system, by Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. This was founded, the the current format for the way RVUs work was started in 1992 
as a way to value physician labor and other treatment costs associated with patient care. It was set up in conjunction with the AMA and a Harvard study that created this new system in which RVUs have a place. So governing the value of the RVU, the relative value unit, is this committee called the RUC, which is the Relative Value Scale Update Committee. Relative Value Scale Update Committee. This is a, um, a committee of 31 physicians from all the different specialties, as well as some other rotating physicians that form this consortium and association where they, every year, they hammer out any changes necessary in the RVU system, the way that procedures, the way that treatment is valued, and they assess any changes to the values of a procedure over time. So if a practice gets paid X number of dollars for doing a certain procedure this year, based on feedback from the RUC, next year they may be up 10% or down 10% or 30%. There can be significant changes in the value of procedures over time. And this is actually a very, uh, can be very contentious and political and that, that sort of <laughs> goes down a rabbit trail that we're gonna avoid at the moment. But the way that this works is the RUC creates recommendations that they pass to CMS. CMS will take that under advisement and make any changes to the RVU system and the values therein as it sees fit. And there's a baseline value right now for an RVU that grows over time, but currently it's at around $37. So for every RVU that a physician earns, it creates this credit with uh, Medicare that says, you know, Medicare is gonna pay you $37 for that based on the service or the procedure that you did for that patient. Now that payment isn't going to the doctor, that payment is going to the practice. And then the practice takes those payments and slices and dices and pays the physician some agreed upon amount that's in most cases, well, I should say, uh, is in some way derived from the amount of revenue that they produce. So um, if you saw a patient, just for very basic math, if you saw a patient and you did five RVUs worth of patient care, Medicare would pay your practice, assuming this is a Medicare patient, Medicare would pay your practice five times $37 for the value of your time. So in that case, it's five times 37 is 185 bucks that your practice would get for the value of your time for helping that patient in that instance. Now, this is with Medicare. So obviously Medicare is not the only payer out there, but CMS and Medicare, they are the benchmark. They set the bar and then all other payers, in most cases, are going to be some price in relation to the Medicare pricing. What we see is that commercial payers actually pay a premium in many cases, and there's a loose relationship between the more interventional <laughs> the procedure, the, the higher the premium could be, between 55 and $70 per RVU is what a commercial payer might pay for that same procedure. So if you ever heard the term payer mix, we wanna understand what the payer mix is of a certain practice. We're talking about what percentage of patients utilizing a practice's services are Medicare or Medicaid versus commercial payers or maybe workers comp. Each of those payers is going to have its own level of reimbursement based on the benchmark rate of that $37 per RVU that's set by Medicare. So I'm talking about RVUs in general. There, there's a couple different types of RVUs, so let's get more specific. The work RVU is the 
the RVU, the relative value unit that's associated with the physician's time and expertise that it takes to do a certain procedure or to give patient care in a certain way. There's two other types of RVUs. The first is practice expense RVU, which is just the overhead expenses of maintaining a practice, paying the person at the front desk, um, keeping the lights on, the utilities, all that stuff. And then there's a third RVU that is the malpractice RVU. So it's what is the malpractice liability associated with any specific procedure or specific amount of uh, you know medical care. And so what happens is for the very complex, very risky procedures, the, the way that these three factors are configured relative to one another is going to be very different versus if it's just an office visit where somebody comes in and you talk to them for 10 minutes and then they leave. There's very low malpractice risk there. So the way that these terms apply, the RVUs, is by CPT code. So CPT, common procedural terminology, everything that you can do in a, uh, you know, in a medical care setting is defined by a CPT code. If you can't do a CPT code for a thing that you did for a patient, then you can't bill for it. So CMS, whenever they're setting the RVU recipe, what they're doing is saying for every different CPT code that a physician can provide care, what is the appropriate number of RVUs to assign to each CPT code? So I want to look at just a, a common CPT code used in interventional pain management. So we've got the lumbar epidural steroid injection as a sort of a baseline example. There's three components to this total RVU calculation to figure out how much money is the practice going to get paid. For this type of procedure, and these are 2015 numbers, by the way, this is a little bit out of date, but the principle holds. What we see is that the work RVU is equal to 1.54 RVUs. The uh, practice expense RVU is 0.9 RVUs, and the malpractice RVU is 0.92. So that equals a total of 2.58 RVUs. So again, 2.58 is going to be a number that was derived based on the work that the RUC does and they advise the CMS and CMS says, okay, we think that every time someone receives a, uh, an epidural steroid injection, it should be worth 2.58 work RVUs. And that is the breakdown between the work RVU, the practice expense RVU and the malpractice RVU. And so if we follow the math, that means 2.58 RVUs times $37 equals 95.46. So what that means is that Medicare is willing to pay $95.46 for a patient to receive this type of care. And so that is the baseline, the benchmark, the, the amount from which all other payers are going to evaluate how much they're willing to pay for that same procedure. So if we take a commercial payer, and I just made these numbers up because it, it's going to vary based on a number of different factors, but if a commercial payer pays some margin above what Medicare is willing to pay, you can see how big this difference is, where it's that same 2.58 RVUs, but maybe they're paying $61 per RVU rather than the baseline 37, and that equals 157 bucks. So a practice who's doing these types of patients with the commercial payer is gonna be reimbursed at a higher level than someone who's doing primarily Medicaid. So one thing to note is that, and I mentioned this before, but I just want to circle back, the higher the amount of complexity, the higher the amount of technical expertise required, the higher the RVU is going to be. So obviously this work RVU 1.54, that means that in order to do an epidural steroid injection, there's not a ton of expertise required 
compared to some other more complex procedures that a physician might do. If they're doing something more complex that takes a longer time, that takes more specific training, that number could be much higher. So that is the beginning of how this RVU calculation works. Now there's one more element that I want to introduce uh, and it's called the geographic practice cost index. So each RVU, the work RVU, the practice expense RVU, and the malpractice RVU has its own GPCI coefficient. What this means is that if you're practicing in you know Manhattan, <laughs> there's a different set of variables as far as how much the physician's labor is worth, how much it's going to cost you from a practice expense standpoint to be able to maintain care, and what the malpractice liability is. If you're in a part of the country where every third person is an attorney and it's very, very litigious, the malpractice coefficient for RVUs is much higher. So this is a, a baseline example that we talked about before, the lumbar epidural steroid injection, 62,311. This is the baseline numbers for if every one of these, the, the GPCI coefficients equals one. This is the baseline. This changes based on geographic locale, and each of these variables is going to change independently. They're not necessarily all linked. Like in New York, everything is more expensive, but it's not necessarily the same ratio more expensive than each of these for each of these different categories. Ironically, the work RVU changes very, very little. So between New York or Dolan, Iowa, or somewhere in the, the Midwest, the work RVU moves between a pretty narrow band. Whereas for practice expense and for malpractice, we can see it move multiples. So it's a much, there's a much bigger swing. And specifically, you know, if I go back to that equation, this is what the real equation might look like. Or, or again, this is going to be still a simplified version, but it's the work RVU times the work RVU coefficient for the geographic adjustment. And then practice efficient, practice expense RVU times the practice expense RVU geographic adjustment, and then the malpractice RVU times the malpractice adjustment equals the total number of RVUs. And so what we see, if we go back to our baseline example, where if you're doing this epidural steroid injection uh, at a place where the GPCI is neutral and it's one all the way across the board, and that's 2.58 RVUs, if you're doing that same procedure in Manhattan, each of these different Equate, uh, each of these different RVU amounts are going to be different. So if we're looking at Manhattan here and we're comparing that to the original, you know, and again, I made these numbers up. This is, doesn't necessarily hold to the 2015 schedule for the GPCI relationship. But the point is the work RVUs don't move that much. They move a little bit, but not a ton. And then the big difference in reimbursement is going to come from practice expense and malpractice. They may be a multiple of what you're seeing at baseline. And so the result is a practice in Manhattan is going to get, you know, credit for five and a half RVUs, where somewhere in, you know, central Pennsylvania might only be two and a half RVUs. So that's how the RVUs vary based on geographic locale. Now, I'm taking a very simple example for something that's only a couple RVUs. In reality, the work RVUs themselves can go anywhere from essentially zero to 30, 40, 50. I think the highest is probably in the 50s or 60s, depending on the specialty and the type of procedure. If you're doing a very complicated, very risky type of procedure, the, and I'm talking about the work RVU only, you might 
have a work RVU component, that first variable in this three variable equation to, to equal the total RVUs, that work variable only could be as high as 35, 45 RVUs. And it's this work RVU specifically, that first variable that is the operative variable that is going to be the lever from which your compensation is gonna be derived. So if you're looking at contracts, if you're looking at RVU targets, if you're considering employment agreements and you have a 7,000 RVU target with a pain practice and you're gonna make $400,000, if you can hit a 7,000 7, RVU target, what that means is you need to produce 7,000 work RVUs as a physician in order to get compensated at whatever that base level is. You can do that in terms of doing fewer, very complex procedures and interactions with the patient, or you can do a lot more of the more simple, more straightforward, less risky types of procedures. You can either do volume or you can do complexity or in the real world, it's gonna be a mixture of both. So that's how the work RVU is calculated and that's what it means for you, the physician. So if you're thinking about what are the ways that I wanna grow income? And what are the ways that I might be able to take advantage of an employment agreement and the way that it's structured to be able to allow myself to you know, get paid as much as I reasonably can and as much as I ought to in the context of an employment agreement. You wanna think about how do I grow my work RVUs and obviously in a responsible way that provides appropriate care, but the things you wanna think about are what types of procedures am I and can I do? Can I do these more complex procedures? Am I equipped in terms of clinical training and you know the experience that I need to do that? If not, is there a way that I can get equipped? Are there workshops I can go to? Can I do uh, specialized advanced training in some of the more you know high RVU types of procedures to be able to have uh, th that type of uh, exposure? Uh, secondly, how efficiently am I working as a physician in order to get my RVU count up? Do I have a, an operationally dialed in clinic or office where I've got MAs and I've got NPs who are able to queue up patients efficiently and I can be very high impact in the time that I see a patient, there's no wasted time. I'm able to administer care in a way that is very effective. The patient is happy, the doctor is happy, and then we can you know, have our clinic or our office or our ASC functioning like a well-oiled machine. Or are there patients queued up and you're, you're getting stuck in interactions where the patient isn't happy and you're not happy because you're, you know, spending 90 minutes talking with Mrs. Jones who like, <laughs> whatever, has some pain in her big toe and you don't have the, uh, the, the operational efficiency that you need in order to generate more work RVUs. And finally, one way that you can think about growing your work RVU count is by thinking about a referral network, thinking about what are the ways that you have to be able to bring patients in the door? Do you have uh, other physicians who are going to refer you business? Do you have a marketing plan? Do you have uh, a way to get your name out in the community so that you can raise the profile of your practice and of your own care that you provide for your patients and be able to serve more patients? Those are all ways that you can grow that work RVU number. So that's what RVUs are. That's how the work RVU is defined. And that's the reason that it's really, really important for a physician. If you're able to do a lot of RVUs, your practice is getting paid a lot and you're gonna be well compensated. If you're not able to do a lot of RVUs, then no one's gonna be happy and you're not gonna be clicking on all cylinders and your employment might, <laughs> might not last that long. So next week, we're going to talk about 
how many RVUs should I be doing? Specifically, again, in interventional pain, it's uh, it's a, a specialty that lends itself more to the RVU calculations. So we're gonna say we're gonna look at income benchmarking. We're gonna look at understanding fair value. We're gonna look at how that varies by geography and all the types of questions that you want to ask as you're looking at contracts, as you're negotiating, as you're trying to understand what are the upsides, what are the downsides of a certain employment arrangement. If I'm able to come in and I'm able to make sure I'm practicing efficiently and grow that referral network and I've got a lot of patients coming in or I'm able to grow my clinical expertise and do some more advanced types of procedures that are more high RVUs, we're going to understand what are the impacts of those things in your own personal finances. So that's all I've got for today. Would love to hear some feedback on this episode if you have any. Let me know if you have any specific questions. I would love to address them next week. And um, as always, thanks for listening to the Anesthesia Success Podcast. If you liked what you heard this week, head on over to anesthesiasuccess.com where you can find more content and free resources to help you build a successful career in anesthesiology and pain management. If you wanted to leave a review in iTunes, I would also really appreciate it. Thanks for using some of your valuable time to join me today on the Anesthesia Success Podcast.